passage that uh, we have in front of us here today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7, and that's found on page six or I, excuse me, page 964 in the Bibles on the rack in front of you if you want to follow along. I've got a little bit different of a translation than those Bibles, but you should still be able to follow along. That's page 964 on the Bibles in front of you. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize until he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Well, Paul is writing Timothy, and to give you an idea of what kind of situation they're in, Paul is the apostle. He is the one that planted the church that Timothy is in right now. So he's the one that established the church, gathered the people, got the church going, and then he sent Timothy, who he often calls his own son. And what that means is uh, Timothy is like a son to Paul. Timothy is a minister, he is a teacher, he is a preacher. And Paul has commissioned Timothy to lead this church. And when Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, the situation is very peculiar because you would think Paul would have like an office somewhere. Like, I don't know if any of you are at a job or have ever been at a job where your boss doesn't know what you're going through. Um, I've been in plenty of those jobs where, well, I, I think I've told you I've worked at McDonald's before. And so when you work at McDonald's 40 hours a week, 40 plus hours a week, uh, every so often we have what's called corporate. And they will come into McDonald's and see if you're running the place exactly how they want you to be running the place. And let me tell you, on the day that they come in, you're running the place exactly how they want you to be running the place. And then the moment they leave, that starts to slide away. And the reason for that is you sometimes get the imagination, wow, these people don't know what I'm going through. They don't know the customers that I have to serve. They don't know the situation that I'm in. So once they leave, they're going to go back to their corporate office and I'm going to be here and I'm going to be the one slaving over the food and serving it to the customers. So I'm going to do it my way. Well, interestingly, Paul is actually in a completely different situation than that. He's writing Timothy from prison. He's not in a comfy office somewhere. He's actually suffering for the gospel because he has been preaching and teaching out in the Roman community, and, and that at the time is illegal. He's been arrested for it, and now he's in prison writing Timothy, still guiding him in how to lead his church. And when he's writing Timothy from prison, he's pleading with Timothy to continue the course, continue to preach and teach the gospel within his church and to his people. 
Now, this is really important. What you need to understand is just before this chapter, Paul is letting Timothy know that he's already been abandoned by several people that were sharing the gospel with him. He names three in particular, and there's one in particular that he prays for in that passage because he knows that person has a heart towards God. He's just being drawn away at the moment. And so when Paul is telling Timothy, continue in ministry, continue in preaching the gospel, it's because he has a heart that's been abandoned. He's already had three people leave him because of the hardships that he's had to endure. And so now he's writing Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, don't be like them. Be like me. Continue to preach and teach, and even if you get arrested, even if you're thrown into prison, Continue to preach the gospel because that is what God has called you to do. And when, Tim, when uh, Paul is giving this message to Timothy, he offers three illustrations as to how Timothy can live out his Christian life. And these illustrations, uh, I believe, still have application for us today. So when the scripture is telling us, continue to live out your Christian life despite the hardships that you may go through, These illustrations will give you an idea of where we're at as Christians. And so the first thing Paul says is continue to, in your hardships, continue to suffer with me is what he says. And he gives this illustration. It's the illustration of a soldier. Now, the soldier idea that Paul more likely than not has and the same idea that Timothy is getting from is the Roman soldier. At this time, Rome was at its peak of power. They had conquered the known world. They were the empire that everybody feared. And there was no no more dangerous of a soldier than a Roman soldier. And when a Roman soldier was enlisted, he wasn't just enlisted to serve. He was enlisted to serve with his whole life. In fact, it was often said that when, when the soldiers would go out and enlist other soldiers, they would beg them, don't take a wife, don't take a family, because you won't be able to take care of them. Your whole life belongs to the Roman Empire. And men would do this. They would forego their life of their family. If they had a wife, if they had a family, they would have to leave and give their whole life to the Roman Empire for service. And this would often last 10 or 15 years. And so when Paul is referencing the Roman soldier, he's saying to Timothy, and God is saying to us today, we are soldiers of God. We are soldiers of God that do not have anything in this world that we're not willing to give up. Which means if you have anything that's distracting you from the gospel, if you have anything that's distracting you from growth in the Christian life, you need to let it go. And the reason for that is that distraction could wind you up in spiritual warfare. See, this is the illustration that I believe Paul is giving is uh, you are a soldier of God not to do work necessarily in, in this realm, but in the spiritual realm. So Pastor Mark had just read that uh, Roe v. Wade was just overturned. Do you realize how many decades of prayer that was? That was five decades of Christians praying over and over and over. That is spiritual battle that the church has gone through. Uh, One of my friends is from Nigeria, and when he found out that in America it was illegal to abort your baby, He was blown away. He couldn't believe that a nation would allow mothers to do that to their own children. 
So this is spiritual warfare that we've been through, and what's ahead of us is even more spiritual warfare. So the calling we have as Christians is to be like soldiers. If there's anything that you're attached to in this world, be willing to hand it off to God. Be willing to let him own it so that you can be of service to him. Now, here's the great thing about when you serve the Lord, you're not going through anything he hasn't already been through on the cross. Jesus has already been through all of suffering. Jesus has already experienced the depths of being tempted by sinfulness. Jesus Christ has been through it all, so that whatever hardship you're going through in the Christian life, Jesus has already been there. He is our captain. He is the one that calls the shots. Now, I know a few of you, uh, quite a few of you actually in here, have served within the armed forces. And my guess is it would be a mistake if you ever didn't do what your commanding officer would do. Does anybody want to raise their hand to that? It would be a mistake if you didn't obey your commanding officer. And Paul says, God is our commanding officer. We listen to him. The famous general, uh, George S. Patton, he had a lot of different sayings that he had during wartime, but he, uh, he led the battle mostly in the North African front of World War II. And one of the sayings he had for his captains uh, as he was general was, a good captain never commands his men to do something that he himself would not do. The point of that being, a good captain doesn't set aside and command his troops to go out if he himself is not willing to go out with them. As we already said, Jesus is our captain. He's the one commanding us. He's already been through it all. So as soldiers, we're not distracted by worldly affairs. Instead, we give ourselves to God. We obey him and do what he commands because whatever hardships incur, he's already been through it. He's guiding us through that, and we can get through it with him. The next illustration that Paul gives us is one of an athlete. And, what he's, and, and the image that he's giving of the athlete is very much a Roman image or a Greek image of what an athlete is, and that is somebody who competes in the Olympic Games. Started with Greece, Rome kept that culture going, and at least once a year they would meet and they would participate in the Roman Games, which required wrestling, uh, foot racing, hurdling, javelin throwing, all sorts of competitions. And of course the rule was with that competition, you cannot earn the prize until you've earned the prize. You can't just go up and say, well, I'm going to win the competition anyway, so why don't you just go ahead and hand me the prize, and we'll call it good. Nobody has to get hurt in this wrestling match. No, you have to prove that you're the fastest. You have to prove that you are the strongest before you can get that. And Paul's illustration of what we are as athletes is that we're competing in a game. This world, this spiritual warfare that we're going through is like a competition that we have to endure. Not only do we have to endure it, we have to prepare for it. It was pretty fascinating. Uh, Michael Phelps, the, the uh, famous swimmer, I believe he won in the 2008 and two th- 2012 uh, 
Few others, didn't he? Man, he swam for a long time. But I remember when he was first swimming, Michael Phelps, uh, uh, his coaches gave out a list of all of the food that he would eat in a day, and I think it was like a four to 5,000 calorie uh, day that he would have to go through just to keep his body going so that he could train to swim in these events. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, he'd eat four uh, egg sandwiches for breakfast. He'd have all sorts of food throughout the day, you know, and, and as we're reading it, you know, our mouths are watering because we're thinking, man, that would be amazing if I could eat that much food. But then you stop to think about it. You can't just eat that much food. You have to do the work that the food is requiring you to do so that it evens out. The same goes for us as Christians. The Word of God, the Scriptures, are bread. We've got to be eating that daily in order to get our energy. But if we're eating this daily, if we're reading the Scripture daily, and we're not following through with what the Scripture is telling us, we're just loading up on empty calories. We're just loading up on God's Word and then just sitting idly by doing nothing. And Paul's reference to what athletes go through in training, not just in this scripture, he has other references throughout scripture, is that we as Christians are preparing for this competition in the world so that we can win the prize. So that when we read the scripture and we go into the world and we do our spiritual battles, we go through spiritual warfare, what's at the end of it all is that not only did we prepare for this and we prepared well for it, but then we receive a prize. That prize is Jesus Christ himself. That prize is eternal life with God in heaven. Uh, tonight is, one of, the, in my opinion, one of the most special nights in sports throughout the whole year. Tonight is game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. I love the NHL. And if you know anything about the NHL, there are seven games to a series, and we're at the point in the series where the Colorado Avalanche could win the Stanley Cup. If you know anything about sports, you should know that the Stanley Cup is the greatest trophy to ever be created. <laughs> now, I know some of you out there seem to think that the Lombardi Trophy is the most important trophy. It's a close second. It is, but the Stanley Cup is the greatest trophy, and there is a tradition within the NHL that dates back over 100 years, and that is, until you've earned the Stanley Cup, you do not touch the Stanley Cup. The only time that you can touch the Stanley Cup is when you've competed in the series and you've been handed the trophy by the commissioner. Only then are you allowed to hoist it and say that you are a Stanley Cup champion. As Christians, we've been given a portion of the prize with our life in Jesus. As followers of Jesus Christ, forgiven of our sins, moving away from sin, God has said you are cleansed, you are righteous, you are my child. That is only a portion of the prize that we have. The full prize will be given to us either when Jesus returns or we pass away and move on to eternity. In the meantime, we are in a competition in this world for heaven. In the meantime, the work we're doing as Christians is like the final game of the Stanley Cup series. It's like playing in the Super Bowl. It's like the 15th round 
of a boxing championship. We are in a competition, and we have prepared as best we can. We have put the work in, and God as our coach is guiding us through it. So what Paul is telling Timothy to do is continue to work, continue to preach the gospel, continue. And he even says there in verse 1 and 2, as he even says, continue to teach others within the church who are trustworthy so that they can teach others within the church, and so on and so on. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's the competition that we're in. The enemy doesn't want us to do that. He's going to put us through hardships. But we can endure that. Why? We've prepared. We're ready to face the enemy. God is our coach, and he'll tell us what to do. The final illustration that Paul gives us is one of a farmer. And, and this one is a short illustration, but he says, just like a hardworking farmer should be the first to share in, in the crop, so we are hardworking farmers that are going to be the first to share in the crop. Now, this alludes back to what we talked about with an athlete, and that is that you plant the crop, you prepare for the season, and then you harvest the crop when the season is over. I think a little further into this, especially as we look back into the Gospels, when Jesus is giving the parables, we see there's a lot of information about farmers. And farmers, over the centuries, have been some of the hardest workers in society. They are the reason that we have food on the table. And if you've ever seen a farmer work, you will know that farmers, if there's anything, if there's anything that I think they should be known for, it's not just the hard work, it's ingenuity. If you've ever been to the Chippewa Valley Museum, it's fascinating to go through and see what dairy farmers have been through in Wisconsin to expand dairy farming throughout the world. It's really fascinating to walk in there and see where it all started, how you would have to wake up at, well, I, I went there with my daughter on a field trip. And the guy that was leading us, you know, he's leading us through the farming areas and we get to the cows and he, and he says to the kids, what time do you think you would have to get up 100, 200 years ago just to make sure the cows got milked? And, and he said, it's really early. And the kids would say, oh, 9 a.m.? You know, nope, a little earlier. Oh, 7, 5. And he said, 5 a.m., sometimes 4 a.m., before the sun is coming over the horizon. And he was talking about how you would have to walk out with the lantern, and you would have to hang the lantern up. You would have to get a stool, sit down, milk the cow, put that bucket to the side, grab another bucket, grab the light, walk on over, and keep doing that over and over. But then as we were walking through the exhibit, we found that farmers, as hardworking as they are, wanted to be efficient. And so he showed us how they came up with little lanterns that could set on their heads so they didn't have to hang the lantern up, and how they developed a new system for carrying the buckets and what kind of buckets they would carry so that milk wouldn't spill out as poorly. And then, this was my favorite invention, it was a stool, and you guys probably know this, I'm, you're all from Wisconsin, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it was a stool that was always on your backside and you would buckle it in and when you sat down, you were sitting. And then it had a little spring so that you could just hop, get back up, move over to the next cow and sit right down. There was no stool to drag. I looked at that and I thought, only a farmer could come up with something like that and still be hardworking because they didn't come up with it 
In order to milk less cows and save more time, they came up with those inventions to milk more cows to provide more dairy for the community. As Christians, we are farmers and we're hardworking. We've already talked about that. But one thing we should be is relevant. We should be relevant within our community, and that requires ingenuity, being able to find new ways to preach the gospel. The same gospel, we don't change the scripture, but now we present the scripture in a way that others can understand it. And the goal of this is not to make it easier for us to share the gospel. It's not to make it so that we don't have to share the gospel as often. It's actually so that we can share the gospel more often with more people as often as we can. As Christians, we are out in the community planting seeds. We're working on others, planting seeds, sharing the gospel. Maybe it doesn't get to them this season. So we got to go back out and share it with them again. And maybe we have to step back and consider, why aren't they receiving the gospel? What, why is it when I tell them about God, they don't really care? Well, let me tell them something else about God. Okay, let me, okay that didn't work. Okay, next season. Why are they so put off to the gospel? Well, let me read more scripture and see, is there anything else about God that they might understand? And as you do that, you're all of a sudden able to plant a seed and not just plant it, but see it grow and harvest. That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're not just planting seeds, but we're waiting for that time that we can see the harvest, which is see somebody grow in God and come to salvation. Come to that point where they say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. That's what we're called to do. So these three illustrations are very important. First of all, it's one of spiritual warfare, that God is leading the battle and we have nothing to fear, but we have to listen to our commander and we have to be ready to fight the enemy within our world. The second illustration being an athlete. We have to compete. We have to work hard. We have to listen to our coach. But then there is a wonderful prize waiting for us at the end. And then finally, that of a farmer. We're planting seeds in our community. We're coming up with new ways to preach the gospel that is relevant to those that have not heard it yet. So we're watching our captain. We're training hard for the competition. We're planting seeds to receive a harvest. And we're doing this all because God has called us to. And even though it's hard work, God has gone before us to do it. It's one story I want to tell, and, and this will close out the message. Uh, it was 1967. I believe it was either December or January. It was the NFL championship between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Does anybody know the name of this game? That's right. The, see, I told you you like the Lombardi Trophy more. It's the Ice Bowl. Famous football game. Negative 13 degrees at Lambeau Field, the coldest field to ever be created. Negative 13 degrees. The refs step aside and said, should we let this game go? 
Should we allow the players to compete for the championship or should we put it off until it warms up a little bit? So the refs called in both coaches, the Dallas Cowboys coach and Vince Lombardi, and the players said that as they were waiting in the locker room, a lot of them were hoping that Lombardi would come back in and say, boys, it's a little too cold today. Let's not play. We'll wait till next week. Of course, if you know anything about Vince Lombardi, that was a false hope that they put in their own hearts. One player said as he sat there, he was hoping, he was hoping. Vince walks in the door, and all he says to his players is, suit up. And as he starts to leave, he stops, turns around, and says, and no one wears gloves today, and leaves the locker room. One player looked at his, uh, his uh, equipment guy, and he said, I don't care what he says. You go find me gloves that match my skin color. As you know about that game, they went out and the Green Bay Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys. And one of the reasons for that is the Green Bay Packers had always played at Lambeau Field. Although negative 13 was a new temperature that they hadn't yet played in, they played in plenty of other cold temperatures where they knew exactly what to do. Whereas the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas doesn't get to be negative 13. What are they, maybe a 45 degrees? The Dallas Cowboys had the edge. Not only that, they had a coach that knew they had the edge and knew this would be their chance for victory. Your coach, your captain, your head farmer that's calling you to preach the gospel, to continue in battle and spiritual warfare, knows the hardships that you're going through. He knows the hardships that you will go through. But he's calling you to go through it and continue to teach others about God because he's already been through it and he knows that he can protect you. So continue in the Christian life that you're going through. Don't let there be distractions. Don't let others distract you from what God has called you to do and he will protect you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the things that you have called us to do, especially the calling that you put on our lives to grow in you and preach, preach to others about you. God, as we always pray, we ask that you would give us even more opportunities in the world to let others know that we are Christian, that we love you, that you love them. Give us those opportunities, especially in the wake of this... Roe versus Wade overturning where others think that we Christians don't love them and that we don't want them to have a choice in life. God, give us opportunities to talk to pro-choice people and let them know that you love them, that we love them. God, give us opportunities to help those in need. Give us opportunities to show others your power and your love. Amen.